for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole for Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Gage with a shot! Sheringham! Name on the trophy! Beckham. It's a Sheringham! And Solskjaer has done it! Ready! Welcome to episode 42 of the Red Devil Talk podcast. On this week's episode, I caught up with former United, West Brom, Sunderland, Hull City and Republic of Ireland defender Paul McShane for a chat. Currently, Paul is with Rochdale and we speak about the impact of COVID on life as a professional athlete. Also, over the next 50 minutes or so, we chat about his time with United, mental preparation, achieving high performance, the psychological aspects of injury, as well as some of the challenges facing modern players such as social media. I want to say a big thanks to everyone for the feedback on the Sean Murphy pod. It means a lot. I appreciate all the messages, the reviews, all that stuff. So thanks very much. So yeah, here is episode 42 with Paul McShane. Let me know what you think. I watched an interview recently. Uh, It was yourself on Off the Ball. You spoke quite honestly in that. I thought it was refreshing in terms of the insight. You were very open. A lot of interviews with athletes, they aren't, you know, they kind of tend to watch what they say, but I thought you were very honest. You stated that you made many mistakes as a young centre-back, but do you think setbacks are a critical aspect of success for a sports person? For me, losing is a fundamental aspect of becoming a top athlete. But for you, you went on to have great success. You represented Ireland 33 times. You had a great four years at Reading. Of course, you nearly got back to the Premier League. Do you think those mistakes you made as a young player helped you become the player you then became? Yeah, well, it's, you know, when you're, you're playing sport and you're an athlete, it's, uh, you know, mistakes are, are common. And I think it's how you, it's how you react to them mistakes. It's, it's, your, it's your mindset to them mistakes because I, I, I've sort of, I've played with a lot of players that, um, you know, they've had, they've, had some, they've had great attributes and stuff, but when they hit a stumbling block, they find it very hard to get over. And um, I found it, when I made a mistake, I, I learned from every single one. You know, I'd sit, if I if I had a bad game, I'd I'd sit down and I'd watch the game back, and I just I just you know sometimes it was hard to watch the game back, but I would force myself to sit down and actually go through the game and see see where I went wrong. And by doing that, I definitely became a, a much better player. And I know the next time that situation came about, I was I was better equipped to deal with it. In terms of that self reflection, if you like, when you're watching back those games, is there any periods of self doubt? Um, yeah, yeah, there is definitely, yeah, um, but it can't linger for for too long. You know, I rec- I, I always say that I give myself about twenty four hours. Might go over that, might be thirty two, forty eight, but I I never let it go on. You know, more than a, a day or two. Um, but yeah, definitely that does. You know, that does start creeping in a little bit. But you've 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 got it. You've got to shut it out and. Um, over over the long run, I always had a had a deep a deep self belief in myself. Something within me that I always knew to myself everything was going to be okay. So um, I yeah you know I don't know where that came from or whatever, but I always had a real real inner self belief. You know so yeah I would have a bit of self doubt now and again, but you know that would that would quickly quickly go and I'd I'd move on to the next challenge. I'm curious to ask about the impact 
of COVID-19, I suppose, as an athlete, most of your week is geared towards winning performance on the weekend. You know, your training, your diet, your sleep. How did the loss of sport impact your sense of self when it was essentially taken away from you? It was, it was tough. It was, it was really tough. Um, I was losing my mind in the end, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, because originally we were only supposed to have um, 10 days off at, at um, I'm at Rochdale now. So we, we were just having a break for 10 days. So we were given um, a lot of training to do. So I could focus on them 10 days and I could do the training that I was given. But then as, as the time went on and on and on, it just had no end date, which I found the most difficult because, you know, at the end of the season, you, you finish up and you're, you've always got a return date back to pre-season. So you can sort of plan out your your summer. You can you know go on holidays and then you you have your days where you train and stuff. But this this didn't have an end, and I found it I found it quite difficult uh, training by myself in the end because you know I was I was trying to do gym work in my house and then I was going out running on a field and I was just you know it was it was soul destroying. So it was tough and uh, you know in the end I was just so glad to be back to train with a with a team because you know I've I, I've always worked in a team environment. I suppose it was different for, you know, uh, individual uh, sports where they're always well, you know, they're always trained on their own and stuff. But you know, when, when you when you're involved in a team environment, you know, uh, day in day out with a big group of lads, it's um it's tough to go on your own. And um, yeah, that's that's what I found the most the most difficult. Was it a challenge staying fit throughout lockdown? Would you be a naturally fit guy anyway, or would you have to work harder? Um, well, it's, I would be naturally, I'd be naturally fit enough, but I also work quite hard as well. Um, you know, I wouldn't be the most, um, you know, I'm not that big, you know what I mean? For, for a center back, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively small. So I always try to keep my strength up and stuff. And, but then I realized no matter how much, how strong I get, you know, you come up against these real powerful natural stronger fellas and they just push you aside so I don't know the most natural thing that came to me was was aggression so I think that was that was what I had but um yeah I'd you know I, I did work hard in lockdown I, I did all the running I I, I probably you know I overdone it in the end which is quite a you know reoccurring theme in in, in my career I, I I definitely overdone it because I I ended up getting a calf strain about I don't know, it was about three weeks in because I was I was running I think it was one week we we ran six days on the trot. And you know, when you when you become a bit older, I think you've got to be careful of, of overtraining and I, I ended up doing my calf. But the thing was I, I'd done my running session that I was supposed to do and then I just had this great idea to you know, I had a ball with me and I was like practicing me passing and stuff like so I got like two concrete slabs I was training in a field and I went over the fence, got two concrete slabs and set them up on the fence. So I was like passing them off the concrete slabs, getting it back and taking touches, trying to get the feel of the ball. And then I remember just standing, like planting my leg and I ended up doing my calf. And I was just I was so raging with myself because I could have just went in after the running session. But, you know, whatever, age 34 and I'm still, I'm still trying to practice, practice me passing against concrete slabs. So, yeah, I, I overdone it in the end. But, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult, definitely on your own training all the time. You touched on something there. The idea that you overdo it has been a common theme for you throughout your career. Do you think that 
as you say, we overdo it. Is that, does that stem from obsession of being the best you can be? Is there a fear that you might not become the best player you can be if you don't overdo it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a fair comment, Jay. There's definitely, um, a, there's an obsession to always improve like every, sing, every single day. Um, always wanting to be the best I can possibly be. And, and obviously that little bit of fear of, of falling behind. You know, because I wouldn't say I'm the most naturally talented footballer out there. I, I, I think I've worked very hard to, you know, to, to get to where I got to and stuff. So I think that was, that would stay with me, I think, forever. You know, always, as long as I'm playing, I'm always going to keep trying to improve. Um, but yeah, at, at times I've, you know, I've done, overdone it so many times. I've, I've um, overtrained. I know, like, so, uh, there was one summer that I didn't, um, I didn't take any holidays. I was training twice a day and stuff, you know, which was stupid. And then I then I went back to pre-season. I ended up doing my meniscus because I overdone it. Um, you know, loads of little things like that. So I've still not learned. I'm 34 and I'm, I'm, I'm still overdoing it, you know. My ma's always on to me, you know, just take it easy. You just relax. I, it's, yeah, I'm still trying to learn to do that, even though I have become better, with, you know, in time. But, um, yeah, I think you're right there. I do have, like, I think you've got to have that obsession of uh, self-improvement, definitely. You mentioned there that you're aggressive. And I guess that's, a, that's the perception of you as a player. You're an aggressive player. Do you think that perception of you as an, an aggressive player means you don't get the credit you deserve? When you think of your performances at Reading, that was some of the best football of your career. But do you think you get the credit you deserve for what you've achieved in the game? I just think it's it's uh, football in general. There's a lot of lot of perception in football, isn't there? There's, I'd say you know it's ninety percent perception. And I think when you like, yeah, I'm I'm a, a quite an aggressive player. I didn't even I didn't even know I was aggressive until I was about nineteen. To be honest with you, I just thought everyone like played like that. I just thought that everyone was going out like in every game and just giving it their all and, and fighting for everything that they got. But I remember it was actually Kevin Moore and. That, that sort of said, said it to me because um, I was, when I was at United I was speaking to him and um, and he said that you know not everybody have, has your aggression and I was like, oh, like I don't get that but then as, as time went on I did get that but yeah you, you, get, you get pigeonholed you get pigeonholed a little bit in football and um, you know because because I was ag- ag- aggressive and because I, you know I'd, I'd, I'd love the, the physical side of the game you sort of get put in that you know, category of oh, it's just all aggression. You can't actually play the game. But you know, I was I, I was all right. You know, I played in the Premier League. I played international football. I, I, you know, I don't think you can get that far without being able to you know kick a ball. But you know, it's just it's football in general. It's you know, there's a lot of as I said, perception of, in the game. You mentioned United there, of course. You joined United age of sixteen. You won the youth cup, captained them to the milk cup. In terms of the standards of excellence that are demanded at the club, what life lessons do you feel that you took from being in such a high-performance environment that are possibly applicable in other aspects of life away from the field? Um, I'd, I'd say um, the work ethic was, was definitely one. Um, you know, I, I, did, I, I sort of had a, a natural work ethic anyway growing up. But I think it really got to find that at United because you're there with, with the best. And, you know, it was, it was great to see, you know, the, the, the great players, you know, like the likes of Ronaldo, Roy Keane, Ruud van Nistelrooy, you know, the top, top players. You, you looked at them and the, the one thing that they had in common was a real relentless work ethic, especially Ronaldo. Like, you know, when, 
when he first came to the club, um, you know, he was always in the gym trying to build his strength up and he was always with a ball. He was he was trying to improve himself, you know, every minute of the day. So that was one thing that, that I took from United was that work ethic and that that um trying to just trying to be the best, trying to be the best you can possibly be. And that winning the winning mentality, you know, that was that was throughout the whole club where you know, I, I arrived into United and I was actually injured. I had two two stress fractures in my back. That was from overdoing it again. <laughs> but uh, so I was uh, I was with the physios and I was it was it was it was intense. Like it was really intense. You know, even like the swimming, we'd have to swim in the afternoons and it was it was always competitions, relay races, and I was nearly drowning in the pool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just going flat out every time. And you know, you'd play badminton with them and they they you know they'd always want to win and. Hockey, yeah, we played hockey with them one time, and that's that's another story because I got banned from hockey with the physios <laughs> because I was dying to beat them all the time, and it turned a bit, I don't know, it turned a bit fiery at one stage. But anyway, um, yeah, just throughout the whole club, it was, you know, it was always competition in training, competition, always wanting to win, and and then when it came when it came to the U Cup, that was like right, we're Manchester United, and we we want to win, we want to win every trophy possible. And it starts with the U Cup because there was a, there's a big history in the U Cup, you know, with the with Bobby Charlton and uh, the class of '92. So it was, um, you know, it was instilled in you that you know winning is is the is this is what this club do, and you you do anything possible to win. It's funny you used the word there. You said relentless. I listened to the Guy Neville podcast on Sky Sports. That was the word he used: relentlessness. And you and you say that there. You wanted to win the hockey. Even there's that. Yeah. There's that desire again to never accept second best ever. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's definitely it's a relentlessness and it's um it's a it's a mental endurance to you know to try and improve every single day. You know, it's it can be it can be tough. You know, but I think it starts with I think it starts with a passion that you have, a desire and a passion, and that that endurance sort of you don't you don't feel like it's work you don't feel like it's hard work because it's your passion. You know, it's your desire to actually do it. I wanted to be a footballer, you know, from an early, early age. So, you know, I always had that drive in me. And, you know, I was, I, 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 would, yeah, I would say I was relentless in, in trying to achieve that. And, you know, when I was at United, I could see the relentlessness of, of the players, you know, on a, on a daily basis and the, the relentlessness of the, of the football club, you know, from, from the physios, you know, to, to, to the, to the players, to the manager, they had this this um, winning mentality that you know I that I picked up along the way. You know, I was a young lad, and you know I, I supported United when I was younger, so I was I was in awe of all these people. But you know, I was learning, I was learning off them every single day, and I was I was lucky to I was lucky enough to rub shoulders with them. You obviously then took the decision to leave United. I'm assuming you feared your game time would be limited which I think was a brave decision to make at that time. At what point did you start to think, I'm not in Ferguson's plans here? At what point did you start to worry with that? Um, well, I went, on, I went on loan to Brighton when I was 19, and I ended up playing, I ended up playing like over 40 games in the championship, and I got, I got player, of the, player of the year for, for the club that year. And um, I'm thinking, you know, I, I have to go back here now, and I, I have to be... I have to be training with the first team every day because I can't take a step back and go back into the reserves. 
because I've seen people before me that that when they went out on loan, they'd um they'd go back into the reserves and they'd play in the reserves, and I could just see like they were a bit soulless when they were playing because it's tough to go playing in you know big stadiums and, and decent crowds to reserve team football where it's it just doesn't seem to be real. So um, I I just wanted to make sure I wasn't one of them players, um so. When I when I was going back into preseason, I'm thinking if I'm not training with the first team every single day, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to go, you know. As much as I didn't want to do that, but I knew I had to, you know. As it was, that's what I mean. In my head, it was an easy decision. I, I was thinking if I'm back in the reserves, that's it, it's done. So I went back to preseason after Brighton, and I trained with the first team a few times, and there was a group put back with the reserves, and that was it. I was into, I was, I was straight into Ferguson the next day. And I was like going, I just had a had it out with him. I said, listen, um, what's the story here? I need to know um where 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 I where I stand because I need to I need to crack on now playing, you know, senior football. And he was sort of he was, he was sort of unsure. He was saying, Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens in preseason and and then I, I said, Am I going on the preseason tour? And he said, Oh, I, I don't know yet. And I was like, going, well, that's that's a sign to me that I've got to go like so. And um, we had we had we had a good meeting, like you know, it was uh, you know, it was because I've been in meetings with um, with with Ferguson before, you know, as a youngster, just like when I was going out on loan and stuff, and I was so like in, I was so in awe of him, and I was sometimes I'd be a little bit shell shocked, you know, to be just stood there, um, sat there listening to him and stuff, and somehow I'd. I'd end up out, out of the office and I'm thinking, how have I ended up here? Like, I haven't even said what I wanted to say. So I was sort of prepared for that meeting with, 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 um, with, with, with the gaffer. Like, I was, I was prepared. I remember the night before, actually, I was writing down notes to, for questions to, to, answer, to ask him. And, like, I even would, would predict answers. You know what I mean? I'd try and see what was going on. And, yeah. and I, I promised to myself, I, I'm going to see the meeting out this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on that seat until I've said everything that I wanted to say. And I remember halfway through that meeting, his secretary came in and tried to interrupt it. And I, I, I was trying, they tried to usher me out the door, but I said, I'm not, I'm not finished yet. And, that, like, you know, I was, like, I was sort of, like, a little bit scared, but I knew I had to, I had to do it. I had to like get everything out what I wanted to say, and you know, with that, I I I said, you know, I have to leave. Like so, you know. Then the next day, I handed in the transfer request to 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 the manager, and you know, it was handwritten. <laughs> they probably didn't even you know understand it. My handwriting's brutal, but it was um, it was a you know a transfer request. So then I, then then I went to West Brom. Did Ferguson try and talk you out of the transfer request? I remember saying it's it's going to be a decision that you regret and stuff, but I just said you know it's 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 a decision and um you know it's you know I was I was adamant I was I was I was correct like you know I didn't want to fall behind in my in my career I wanted to I was probably I was too keen to succeed I suppose I, I was I wanted to succeed yesterday and I I just felt that going back into the reserves would have been would have been a tough one to take for me and I didn't want to take that risk of actually like falling behind when I've when I've sort of gone out there and I've played senior football like in the in the championship decent level and ended up getting player of the year. I, I just needed to keep going and to go back to the reserves. I didn't I didn't want to rot away there. So I, I had to had to make a decision. You just said there that you were adamant that you're correct. And I think that isn't that kind of applicable in all walks of life, no matter what you're doing, no matter what business you're doing. 
that mindset to be the best. You always have to back yourself. Do you think he respected that? Um, yeah, I'd, well, I'd, I think, well, I don't know. I don't know. I think he did. I think he did um, respect that because I remember, remember actually it was, it was Tom Heaton, I think, said that, that, that he did say it one time in the dressing room that he did respect that. You know what I did because when I went when I left United, I I made my Irish debut then that, that like a few months later and stuff, and I was you know I was I was playing for West Brom and I got man the match in the in the in the Irish game. So I think it was you know I was I was adamant to sort of prove a point, you know, to to get out there and and, and succeed. So yeah, I you know I I think he I think he did respect that because you know it wasn't like a meeting where it was it, it finished on bad terms it was just like I've got it you know I'm, I'm sort of I'm, I'm, I'm out of here and, and it wasn't as if he was losing Rio Ferdinand or Nemanja Fittich it was like a, you know what I mean a, a 20 year old Paul McShane so I think he was you know he was he was okay with that you know and you know at the same time when I, when he, when I had the meetings with him he said you know there's a lot of competition for centre back you know in the first team there was you know the great players but also in the youths like around my age was you know Jared P.K. Uh, Johnny Evans, Ryan Shawcross, you know, there was a good, good crop of youngsters at that time. And then, you know, in the long run, I probably look at it and think I, I probably, you know, I still think that I did make the right decision, even though I, I look back and I would have loved a competitive, a competitive game for United, you know, for me, whatever to look back on. But, you know, it wasn't, wasn't to be, you know, not everything goes to plan. So um, I just, yeah, I just needed to crack on with, with my own career. Hi, this is Ken Doherty, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. This podcast is brought to you in association with Classic Retro Shirts. Classic Retro Shirts sell a large variety of retro jerseys from a number of clubs and countries and are very prominent on Manchester United. United season ticket holders themselves, giving fans a chance to look back through history. Classic Retro Shirts are on Instagram at Classic Retros 2, or you can visit their website at classicretros.co.uk. To get a £10 discount off your purchase, you can use the code RDT10 at the checkout on the website or you can send the code via direct message to their Instagram. Classic Retro Shirts. Something that fascinates me in sport is the idea of injuries. I did my college thesis on it. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Obviously, you had a few injuries. The hull, you had a calf injury. You had an ankle injury. It kept you up for a few months. Then towards the end of your career at Reading, you had a few injuries. Psychologically, how much of a challenge is it for an athlete to be injured for a sustained period of time, knowing that you can't contribute to the team? Yeah, yeah, it is tough. Injuries are, you know, the worst, the worst part of football, I'd say. Um, you know, I've had, I definitely have had my fair share, even from a from a young age, from, you know, from from twelve years of age, I I, I tore the hamstring off the bone at twelve and. Um, I had two, as I said before, I had two stress fractures in my in my lower back. Going over to United, that that kept me out for about maybe four to six months. Um, but it is, it's. Um, I always feel when when I have an injury myself, you know, I have that disappointment of, as I said, two two days max, and then I'm back on it. Like I sort of try and focus on. I set. I always set little goals in the in the rehab. Like say, if I've had an op- like the one at Hull where I had the, the ankle operation, you know, initially I was on. I think I was on crutches for two weeks. So I'd set like two week 
um, installments. So it was like two weeks, right? I'll be back off the I'll be back off the crutches, and then what can I do after them two weeks? You know, you know, weight bearing, and then in that I can up my gym work, and I'd always have them little bits of light at the end of the tunnel, in them segments. Um, so that that's how I sort of got through my injuries. I didn't I didn't think of it all at once. I tried to think of it as little, you know, little targets. And then the overall target was basically to, you know, I think as, as every athlete tries to do, you try and beat the, you know, if, if someone says you're out for 12 weeks, you know, you, tr you try and get back in 10. It was always trying to, you know, every day was, was really important for me. I'd, I'd make sure that I was, I was focused on my gym work every single day because, you know, if you, if, you, if you start trying to skip things and skip reps and skip sets, um, it can work against you in the long run because you might not come back as strong as you should be and there's a chance of reoccurrence. Um, so that's how, that's, how I would, that's how I dealt with, with sort of injuries and longer-term injuries. But touch wood, I've never had a, a, an ACL or anything like that. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that mental endurance as well to be able to deal with, deal with setbacks backs like that. Those times in your career when you were injured, obviously you're isolated from the group, you're probably doing the majority of your rehabilitation alone. Would you say that those times are lonely periods? Yeah, yeah, definitely lonely, yeah. Even now, like, I've, I've got a bit of a groin injury at the minute. So even now, like, even it was yesterday, I, I was doing me, me rehab on the pitch and the team are training over on the other side. And still then, I still feel that, like, that gutted feeling of not being involved with the team. You, you do feel you know, away from it a little bit. I, I, I felt that especially at, at Reading in my last year because I had, I kept having a reoccurrence of an injury that I just wasn't getting right. And um, in, in the end, I felt so, I felt so far away from the team, you know, because I, I was club captain at the time as well. And I'd always try and be involved with the team or be in the dressing rooms before every game, after every game. And, at the start, I was trying to, you know, be, be quite focal in the dressing room to try and, you know, to take responsibility for being club captain. But when you're not out on the pitch with the, with the lads, your, your voice doesn't carry much weight, I found. You know what I mean? It's, I can say whatever I want, but I'm not the one out on the pitch. You know, I think people got a bit fed up of me in the end, to be honest, because I was trying to get people up for games and just trying to help any way I could. But when you're when you're not out in that you know out in the battlefield with 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 your teammates, it's 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 quite difficult. And um, as as that injury went on, I did feel quite sep separate from the from the from the team. And I felt like because I, I was out for so long at the end of Reading, I felt miles off it as well. You know, I'm looking at games, I'm thinking, oh, bloody hell, I, I can feel my hamstring there. Him doing that movement and stuff, it was it was weird. It was a weird sort of period for me, and it was quite quite difficult. But um, yeah, it was it was it was good learning experience. It's interesting that you mentioned goal setting throughout the injury. I speak to I speak to many athletes about psychology and performance, and without exception, every one of them states that the most important aspect of the rehabilitation process for them is setting goals. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, I would never. I used to when I was younger. I used to write down goals. I used to write down stuff, but then I never. I I stopped that like. I stopped it. Um, actually, there's one that where I got I got a lot of stick for just going off injury. Where when I went to Reading, um, like I was, I was always sort of I don't know I was reading books at the time. You know what I mean? And I was like, 
I put promotion in the in my bedroom, you know, so I wake up every every morning and see the word promotion. And you know, it's you know, I think that that would get me going every day. That was the that was the, the goal. But then we started off really well, then we fell off the side of a cliff and we ended up like seventeenth or sixteenth or seventeenth in the in the league. That was my first year at Reading and the lads one of the lads, Joe Dudgeon, that I'm good mates with. Um he used to be at United actually, and then he had to retire through injury. He was in the house one time and he was in, in the bedroom and he seen the sign and he just took the piss out of me, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so from, from then on I just I, I I didn't really write down goals then and you know, with, with me with my rehab in, in uh, when I was injured, I didn't really I didn't really write down the goals, but I just had in my head like I'd be talking to the physio, it's like, right, what's the story, what's next? Like so it's like right, two weeks on crutches. So I, in my own head, I knew I knew what to do for them two weeks, and then I was off the crutches, and I'd speak to the physios again. I'd say, "Going right, what's what can I do?" And um, I just I would try and I would try and like improve myself in that time when I was injured. I'd make sure that I was watching all the games, and you know I'd, I'd study study the games, um, and I just try and improve myself. You know, just keep trying to improve in dif- different aspects, stuff that you might overlook when you're actually playing. So that that's that's how I, I got through through the injuries. In terms of an injury, let's say for example an ankle injury that keeps out for three months, when you've had a few niggles, do you then fear re-injury when you're returned to play? Is there any aspect of you that then begins to doubt your body almost? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I had that. I had that at the, in my last year in, in Reading. Um, I had like a, a hamstring tendon issue just just behind my knee. And uh, because I'd done it, I'd done it in such an innocuous way, like to begin with, where I just basically stepped and I felt something in my hamstring. I was like, going, whoa, like, do you know what I mean? That I hardly done anything there, and I actually ended up like basically doing my hamstring. Um, so when I was when I was going back into training and stuff, you know, you're afraid to put your foot out, like stretch for a ball. You know, when it was, it was, it's, it's quite. You know, it's quite difficult mentally to, to overcome that because you you think about the pain of actually missing missing out on training and missing out on games, and you don't want to you don't want to go back there. So you start trying to protect yourself in training, and then you start doing yourself an injustice then because you're not you're not at full flow. But yeah, there's definitely there is definitely that um, that doubt in your mind that you're you're you know you could you could do something again. But then when I, the one thing I'd say that really helped me in in coming back fit for Reading was I absolutely smashed like strength work in the gym pretty much every day. And I think then to, to put the strength in like the, the, the real work in the gym that then does give you the confidence to, to go back into training and, and be a full blast. Because when I look back at my time at Reading, when I got injured, I, they always tried to, to turn me around real quickly to get back playing games. But that sort of worked against me in the end because I probably didn't fully fully get the strength work that I needed to get in to get back to my to get back to my best. So I, I don't know, I look back at that and sometimes I wonder if I just like, you know, had that extra week out to really focus on my strength work to 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 get full fully fit again. That fear of re injury or as you said doubt that must leave you as a defender it must leave you very limited it must make you feel exposed yeah yeah it does because you know if you're 
if you're whatever got getting a, a, a foot race with, with a striker or whatever you need to burst you know into a burst into a tackle or burst down the line or you know it's a, a defender it's 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 quite intense you know there's a lot of explosive movements and if if um, you're going back into into games and you're you're not really confident in doing that you you can you can really really get exposed and that's um you know, I got back on the pitch there for Reading and we played Preston. I came on for the last 20 minutes and um, actually do, I actually done my Achilles in the first, I'd say, 45 seconds. And I was that embarrassed to come off because I was out injured for so long. I was that embarrassed to come off. I actually stayed on and just tried to see it through because I didn't want the fans to be thinking, this fella's, he's, he's crocked, this guy. Yeah. So I actually, I actually stayed on and by staying on, I was... You know, I couldn't move. You know, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was just, yeah, because my Achilles was sore. I didn't want to actually tear it in the end. I was just trying to do little movements. But as a as a defender in a in a in a decent level, you can, you can't get away with that. Of course, the big question, Paul, on the podcast, something that I ask everyone: in your opinion, what do you think are some factors that are absolutely crucial in achieving high performance? Um, I I think a, a mental endurance. As we as we said earlier, a, a relentlessness to 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 have that obsession as well of self improvement every every single day, and you know to that willingness to be the best you can you can possibly be, um, you know that, that that's one thing that I look at, and as I said, it's I look at a lot of players that I've seen, and you know they can be the best player, they can be technically unbelievable, but if they don't have that mental endurance, you, you get found out when you when you hit a, a setback or a little stumbling block like an injury. You know they find it hard to get over, and it's um, you got You definitely have to be to be mentally fit in in a, in a high performance sport, and um, to basically you know stay in the fight as long as possible. Because you know in 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 football and in all sort of sports, it's it's never it's never like a trajectory like that. It's never just up. It's it's up and down, up and down, and you gotta you gotta roll with the punches at times. So I, I definitely would say a, a mental endurance is is a, is a massive massive aspect of it. I couldn't agree more, and I also couldn't agree more in the sense that that obsession to be the best is so crucial. I think that obsession to be the best is it's important no matter what you're doing in life, whether you're a footballer, whether you're in college, whether you're a manager of a business. That obsession to improve and be the best is imperative i think for in terms of performance yeah i, th- I think it, it, you have to be always looking to improve i think that you know someone said to me before the, the the day you stop improving the day you start falling behind if you think that you're okay where you are and you've learned you've, you've learned everything that's when you'll start slipping behind because there's people out there that are you know working working harder and, and, and trying to improve every day and they'll, they'll eventually catch you up so it's um it is definitely um, you know, improve and trying to improve every single day, and and you know, you've, you've never cracked it because I think the moment you think you've cracked it, that's when that's when you get a, a kick right in the right in the where the sun don't shine. The Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm wondering how much emphasis do you put on mental preparation, in the sense that, you know, this is Tiger Woods. He mentions of visualization. He often says that the most important part for him is he visualizes where the ball goes. Similarly with snooker players, they say the most important part of the shot is visualizing. Is that something you ever tapped into? Um, 
I would I would say I when when I was younger I read I read Phil Jackson's books um Sacred Hoops. I read that a long time ago. I read it when I was like twenty one, I think. And I read Eleven Rings recently in the la- I think it was about four years ago. But Sacred Hoops really got me onto um living in the moment. I think being present in, in the moment I think was a was a massive um it was a massive thing for me. Because I I like I was and I still I probably still am a, a massive overthinker. So um you know, sometimes in games I'd be you know, my head would be would be mushed with all the thoughts that were was going on. So I tried to to have that Zen approach and trying to switch off my thoughts and just living for that for that present moment. So leading up to games, I would just try and concentrate on say if I was eating my pre-match, just concentrating on eating my food and and then whatever I was doing next, and then when I was leading into the game, just concentrating on the warm-up, not thinking too much into the game, because you can definitely overcomplicate things. And then once you get out onto the pitch, you can freeze. So then I, I just try to try to live in that present moment and have that, you know, that zen-like, zen-like character. Even though I, I still think I'm I'm a work in progress, because I say it to me missus sometimes about what I call that, and she says like, yeah, you're not zen at all, because you know. <laughs> But I've, I've I've tried to I've always tried to do that and that that did help me trying to be in the present moment and even even now it was it been in the last say when I joined Reading because I was club captain as well I took I, t- I think I took a lot of responsibility on and um, you know sometimes I was you know going into training and I was you know fuming with lads you know what I mean because I was so desperate to get back to the Premier League and then I was trying to control the uncontrollable so then I got into um, I got into meditation and stuff, and that that's really helped me in the last few years. Where every morning I try and have ten minutes where I I, I sort of try and quiet quiet my head, and that seems to set me up well for the day without without uh, killing anybody. In terms of the modern game, actually, I'm going to come to the modern game. I mean, I have one more thing to ask you. You mentioned that you're an overthinker. Do you think I'm a big advocate of psychology and self talk? And do you think sometimes you can go too far the other way? And actually, talk yourself out of form, like being like being too placid. You mean, or like in terms of overthinking, analyzing your performance too much? If you're going too much into your own head, yeah. Do you think there's actually a line? Do you think sometimes psychology can go too far? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I even found that when I was on loan to Brighton, I was um, after every game. I'd always watch every game I I played in, like I still do, but. Back then, I was like, I was watching the tapes. You know, these days you get, you can get like your clips. You can just watch your clips. But back then, it was like you get a video or a DVD, and you watch like you watch the whole game. And I'd sit down with a with a notepad and pen, and I was writing down all the stuff that I'd done wrong. And then, like like a few games into it, it was like it was like parallel analysis. That's what it was. I think that's what it's called. I was actually, you know, I was just writing down the mistakes I was making. So I actually overthought it too much then I didn't want to make any mistakes and I was sort of freezing out on the pitch I, I, would, I would freeze at times you know thinking oh I don't want to make a mistake but you know I quickly I, I quickly eradicated that because I realized what I was doing but you can definitely overthink things you can overcomplicate things in your mind and then then you just don't have that natural flow when you go out onto the pitch you start second guessing yourself and you're not you're not used you're not you're not trusting your instinct out, out on the pitch with regard to the contemporary game, 
obviously there are a number of modern challenges facing athletes that possibly weren't there 20 years ago. What do you think are some of the newer contemporary challenges facing athletes? Um, more, more, there's definitely more scrutiny, you know, with the, with the likes of, you know, more televised games and um, social media is, is huge. That's, that, that's a, a massive aspect. And, um, I think it's, you know, it's tricky for young players coming through now because you've, you have to, you have to develop a thick skin very quickly because, you know, on, on the likes of, of, um, Twitter and stuff, you know, it's, it's, you know, it can be like the toilet wall at times. It's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of stick out there and you've, you've got to, I remember when I went onto Twitter first, I actually, I was actually fine with it. Um, because I used to treat it like a, like a computer game. You know, I didn't take it as real life. Yeah. I found, I found, you know, people, people on social media, obviously they, they just want to give you a bit of abuse, don't they? You know, and it's, it's sort of people, people, they have they have become comfortable with, with insulting people without getting a punch in the face. So it's you know I sort of treated it like that. I sort of, sort of treated it like a bit of crack in the end. And I think you, you have to have that mentality with it that it's not real life. That people wouldn't be saying this coming up to the street and saying, "Oh, you're you're crap and you're this, you're that." They wouldn't do that. So you have to you have to have that mentality of um, you know it's yeah it's not real life. And I think if you're if you're any way sort of sensitive or frail and in, in your mind, I think the, the best thing is to, to is to not have it. But it's it's but it's part of it's part of a football career now. And I see young lads at clubs and they're more worried about the sort of content they put out on social media and they actually forget to, to play the game. They actually yeah. forget about their performances on the pitch. And as I said before, they try and have this perception that they're that they're this great player. But they they forget that actually their performances will, you know, will 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 do the talking. Just staying with the criticism for a minute. Uh, Michael Owen calls that um, blocking out the criticism. He calls it his shit filter. I'm wondering, does it get you down? Would you get much stick on Twitter? Um, yeah, yeah. I think everyone gets stick. Like you know, some some sometimes, you know, you've had a bad game or whatever. Yeah, you get a bit of stick and. Um, I think the thing is with criticism, it does like every nobody likes criticism, but it's it's how it's how you deal with it, and criticism is is that's that's standard, you know. If you if you don't want to get criticised, don't 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 go out of your house, stay in your house, you know, because you know you're we're, we're playing well, I'm playing professional football, and you're gonna get criticised. That's that's it, like you know what I mean. That's that that's um that's a given, but it's how you it's how you sort of deal with that criticism. You know, you could, you can get, you can get really down about it, and then it, you get into a rut, and it's hard, it's hard to come back from that. Where you just, you know, you roll with the punches, try and roll with the punches, and yeah, if I've had a bad game, I know I've had a bad game. I know I've made a mistake, and um, I will try and learn from that, and then I'll move on. I'll move on to the next challenge. Are you one of these people who like would read the comments, or would you just not even bother looking at them? Yeah, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes if I've done so, if I've done something. If I've done something like you know stupid in a game, I I wouldn't read through any of them. I just click refresh and that's it. Like you know what I mean. But I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be hooked up on on looking at Twitter anyway too much these days. I've sort of at the start I used to I actually used to enjoy the crack. Like you know I'd always I thought sometimes I I would give a bit of stick back to people and then it would actually become a bit of fun. But then I just sort of got a bit sick of it where I was just sick of you know talking to 
you know, there's a few gobshites out there, and it was just I just got a bit sick of it. So I wouldn't go on it as much as as I did. But I wouldn't nowadays. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't get bogged down at all. But you know, I just look at it, and it's as I said, it's like a computer game. You know, I just, I just, just, I just move on. It's not, it's not real life. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's how I pretty much, pretty much deal with it. I just, just move on. I think Twitter is a mad world. You know, I, I obviously I write about United games, and if I, if I post an opinion piece and people don't agree with it, gone are the days of like a sensible, a sensible conversation, if you like, where you weigh up the pros and the cons and the different opinions. Now it's just if you don't agree with someone, you know, it's, it's a name calling. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I mean. It's, it's it's people are very comfortable behind the screen, aren't they? Because they're not they're not actually there person to person. Because I like you know if that happens, you know if that happened back home or someone's calling your name back home, you'd be it'd be a fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you just you just just can't get away with it when it's when it's face to face. But you know people are very comfortable behind the screen, and um, I think that says more about them than than you. And then you've got to be careful as well because these people that make these comments or that 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 slag you online, you just don't know what's going on in their lives as well. You know, it's 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 difficult. Then I'm always a bit wary of of giving a bit of stick back now because I'm thinking this fella could be struggling mentally, and I could tip him over the edge. And you know what I mean? If he does something stupid, you know, you won't be able to live with yourself. So it's um, yeah, you have to be you have to be very careful. Just have two more questions, Paul. Really appreciate your time again. In terms of Rochdale and the future, what are your personal goals? Um, I'd say just trying to be as successful as I can be now at this stage. I think Rochdale, you know, we're 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 a very good team. Play some really really good football at times. We've got a good manager in Brian Barry Murphy from Cork, and uh, he's you know a really really good manager. He's forward thinking. He's He's a very modern day manager, I'd say. Um, you know, we've got he's got some good staff with him. He's got his assistant Lee Roy. He's got some good fitness coaches and everyone around him. And it's um, you know, we play some really, really good stuff, like really good stuff. And it's actually a joy to be a part of because it feels like a project. Um, you know, Rochdale are obviously people people write Rochdale off pretty much every year, but you know, we we do all right. We do okay, and um. So my, my goals would be to, to be as successful as we can be, you know, because your goals always change, you know what I mean? It's like, if you just want to stay up and you, then you're, you're whatever, you're 10th in the league, what happens then? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you got to judge it as you go along. You know, we're doing okay at the minute and I think we're in a league where, you know, especially after COVID, anybody can go up because... It's a bit of a, a level playing field now, taking away the, the, the financial the financial aspect of it because the clubs are massively struggling. Um, so I, I just, yeah, as successful as we can be. And um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I won't put any limit on it, but it's, I, it's you know, it's, it's very enjoyable playing under Brian. And, you know, I've learned a lot since being here, you know, because it's, you know, you probably haven't seen us play, but we're, we're very good, very good football inside. But, there, you know, there's other aspects that we need to improve on, but it's, it feels like a, a project which I'm which I'm quite enjoying. Of course, there are strong Irish links at Rochdale at the moment too, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, massive Irish links. Yeah, there's um, you know, obviously the manager and uh, Owen O'Connell, Jimmy Cahan, Stephen Dooley, Ryan McLaughlin. Um, so yeah, there's some really you know really really good players. You know, I I play centre back beside. O'Connell, when it when well when I when I was fit, I was it was always me and, and Owen O'Connell and you know he's a, a very a very good player. 
very talented centre back, you know, very comfortable on the ball and stuff. And he's, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's got a, a, a bright future, you know, in the Irish squad at a, at some stage because I think he has the ability to to step up to that level. And final question: If you had thirty minutes to have a conversation with someone, now this person can be dead or alive. It can be a musician, it can be a singer, an artist, someone from history. If you had thirty minutes to have a conversation with someone, who would it be and why? Oh wow. It's a tough a, one, isn't it? That's a hell of a question. Now you put. Don't know. There's a load. There's a load. Of, um, well, me dad. Me dad. I'd love to. Me dad's. Me dad's died. Now he's he's dead ten, over ten years. But I'd love to have thirty minutes with him. Yeah. You know, because he was taken taken from us quite suddenly. So, um, yeah, I always sort of, always sort of regret not not going out for like a, maybe when I was at home having a pint with him in the in the in the local. Of course. But yeah. I was sort of young enough. So. Um, you know, I wish maybe I could have like another, I don't know, a point with me dad, I reckon I'd say. One, la- one last point with me dad and have a chat and be able to sort of say goodbye properly. So I'd, I'd say I'd probably he, he'd stick in my head. Um, but I don't know, professionally, um, professionally, I don't know. I used to love Franco Baresi when I was, when I was younger. I, I loved, I got given a DVD of him when I was in the U team. Uh, Paul McGuinness uh, gave it to me. And I used to, I used to watch it before every game that I played because it would it would it was inspiring stuff you know because he was he wasn't the biggest for a centre back but his reading of the game was unbelievable and his aggression and I sort of I seen a little bit of myself in him not that I'm saying I'm Franco Baresi <laughs> but you know I seen a little bit of of myself in him and I, um, you know it inspired me so I'd love to I'd love to sort of yeah sit down with good old Franco and have a chat. A great sport, Paul. I appreciate your time genuinely. Nah, cheers, Jimmy. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thanks, William. Thanks for listening to Red Devil Talk. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Devil Talk. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. If you have any questions or comments or want more information on Red Devil Talk podcasts, you can get in touch via email at reddevilTalkMedia at gmail.com. 